your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire. By the time this comes out, uh, we'll already be at the end of all of your favorite podcasts complaining about this meeting is being recorded, lady, on Zoom. Uh, so now, some of your like mid-tier favorite podcasts, like ours, can complain about it. Speaking of complaining about being recorded, it's time to talk about your... <laughs> but before we get oh to that part of the episode, we'll have to yeah. I, I imagine the Greg Gard situation wouldn't have happened if the guy's phone had gone, this meeting is, this locker room meeting is being recorded. This, this very fraught seniors only meeting in which they tear you a new asshole is being recorded. Yeah, he might have caught on at that point. But it, look, again, in this day and age, everyone's got a camera and a high definition audio device in their pocket at all times. You know, interesting. Um now that we bring that up, there's actually a security feature that main on on Japanese phones that may not not have allowed him to get away with recording that. I don't know if it works for audio, but um, I had a for whatever reason the Japanese model uh, iPhone six that I used briefly until I until uh, I dunked it in a river with you, um, and it had a thing where you could not take pictures silently. Yeah. Because apparently there was a big problem with uh, with 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 skirts. Uh huh. So, you know, just again, any number of security features could have possibly prevented this thing from happening. But we'll we'll get to that later because right now it's time to talk about football. The uh, yeah. what was it uh, three and two? Right. Season? So a little bit of an underwhelming year for their standards, but. Again, you you only play a bit more than half of even the reduced schedule you're supposed to. And they get the one game in successfully with Illinois. You give half of your team COVID. And then after that, um, games just cancel left and right. They play, they stop, they play again, they stop again. Um, no, they, they ended up three and three in the regular season and then um, beat Wake Forest in their bowl game. So oh, we might not have been able to contain their tight ends, but we sure as hell did contain their virus a little better than they did. Who can't contain what now? Um, yeah, so it was weird because they had to be. I know they were flying high, even though it was just Illinois. Uh, they read way too far into that one. And then what their second game that they finally got to play was an absolute beatdown of Michigan, and then they had to be flying high until yeah, they played Northwestern. A 49-11 to 11 win over Michigan that wasn't even that close. And then from there, in their next three games, so the Minnesota game was canceled the weekend of Halloween and pushed to the end of the year. They did end up playing it and winning it. But after the Michigan win, they're 2-0. Their offense is averaging 47 points a game, albeit against Illinois and last year's Michigan. Uh, but then in the next three games, Northwestern, Indiana, and Iowa, they score seven, six, and seven points. Absolutely mystifying the way they just fell off a cliff. Um, it, it's difficult to understand. And granted, they were playing much better defenses. That's true, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot less mystifying than that. Their offense just 
the the things that they were able to do against uh, dazed and confused Michigan and standard procedure dazed and confused Illinois uh, <laughs> simply didn't work, and they were forced to be much more one dimensional against more disciplined pass defenses. Yeah, and it was it was by no means a vintage Wisconsin rushing attack either. Um, their best effort of the year was Garrett Groshek in his senior day um, sort of sign off performance when he got to a buck 54 against Minnesota. But other than that, they didn't have anybody break a hundred yards on the year. And that is very un-Wisconsin of them. We'll go into a little bit more detail of how we think that's going to improve shortly, but. Uh, can I say this? The only about- reason that there was hype, Heisman hype around Graham Mertz and not Spencer Petrus was because they played Illinois in week one and Iowa didn't because after the first quarter against Iowa, Petrus couldn't miss. And he ended up having a very similar game to Graham Mertz, albeit with a slower start. Uh, But that's uh, still getting a lot of my, and, and, and I know that it's also a thing where he was a, you know, where, where he cemented himself. He, he finally did the rare thing at Wisconsin where you have a good enough passing performance to cement yourself as a starter that the fans don't hate. Uh, and, and after having been a hyped prospect, but if you go just based on his game performance, then it's, it's a bit Denard Robinson-y, isn't it? As far yeah. as uh, let's beat up on some cupcakes and yeah, pad some stats. And, and, uh, some type of thing, piling stuff up at the beginning of the year and then kind of hitting the wall against better defenses. Yeah, I, I could see a little bit of that comparison. So he stole the September Heisman from uh, Michigan's usual guy that gets it. Yeah, well, Michigan's usual guy that gets it wasn't even starting by the end of September, so kind of difficult to give him the September Heisman. Wisconsin's going to have kind of a mixed bag. So they had, they had a ton of players who you could have seen going to the NFL who also had the Wisconsin's going to have kind of a mixed bag, kind of a mixed bag. Uh, so they lose Cole Van Lane into the draft. Um, they're starting left tackle. Isaiah Loudermilk, a standout defensive end also went um, Eric Burrell, a pretty good safety opted to go pro as well. Garrett Groshek is not coming back. I don't believe he was drafted. And another defensive end, Garrett Rand, is retiring. But they have a few other guys returning. Um, Noah Burks from the linebacker group, Matt Henningsen up front, and Caesar Williams in the cornerback group. So Notable where Noah Burks is returning from, by the way. From the uh, Illinois tentative roster. Was he really supposed to be a transfer or something? Yeah, he committed to Illinois. <laughs> it looks like... Like a fifth year... Like... Yeah, he well, he yeah, he was going to transfer there. I think during the season that was announced, I know it was. I'm pretty sure that the whole saga uh, started and ended before Brett Bielema got hired. Man, I guess I. We have some fun transfer sagas, don't we, folks? With Illinois, because uh, you know, my no, favorite, of course, was the Jeff Thomas era, where uh, when, when you say when you say fun in that sentence. That's a different context for the word fun than I'm used to in my everyday life, but we all live our own experiences, I suppose. So um, the other good news, of course, is that they have their low-key best defensive player, Keanu Benton, returning the second consecutive nose tackle they've had after Olive Sagapolu, who's been absolutely vital to their defense and is absolutely unknown to any but the wonkiest of football fans. But so, look, their defense should be pretty solid again. With Benton and Henningsen up front, they still have Burks. They still have Jack Sanborn in the linebacking group. The secondary is going to lose a lot of experience, but that's the price they pay for having a ton of experience back last year in the back end is, yeah, now those guys are gone and you're going to have to 
find some new pieces. Um, the, the talk really, though, for I would imagine for Wisconsin fans is going to be what happened with the run game and how do we get it back where we're used to it being. And it's kind of a straightforward thing here. They need Jalen Berger to be the next star back because Garrett Groshek is gone now. Nikia Watson transferred as well. So Berger is really the only guy who you could see being that Jonathan Taylor, Melvin Gordon type of player, although they did add an offseason transfer. I'm not sure if it's Chez or Shea Malusi. I'm going to prefer to say that it's Shea, like he's a French chef. Um, well, because- no, what that means is uh, at the place of Malusi. That's what that means, right? So it's a, every restaurant is always Shea and then the chef's name. It's like, you know, you are dining at this guy's place. So in other words, you get, you get, a, a, you get a premier running backing experience, Shea Malusi. And he didn't really play it at Clemson much, but that's kind of a thing where he was on the same team as Travis Etienne for the last few years. So what are you going to do? Um, I'm wondering if Jalen Berger has a younger brother that also plays running back because Illinois just picked up a commitment from a, uh, offensive lineman for 2022. whose last name is fries. <laughs> and we just, we're, 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 we're so close to getting burger and fries here somewhere. And, for burger and fries to play for Brett Bielema is just the most perfect thing I can imagine. Uh, I know there's a lot of Illinois context content in this podcast already, but like I'm sure Wisconsin fans will uh, will appreciate the Bielema content. Or we could just have a surprise transfer of burger going to Indiana, so you have burger and fry folder. <laughs> ah, that's true. So, <laughs> regardless, uh, it figures to be the Jalen Burger show on offense. You would expect he's going to be able to carry a little bit more of load for them which should be necessary because there's good news and bad news in the passing game, which is you have a lot of the same pieces back. Um, but then if you're looking at that on the downside, you have a lot of the same pieces back. And this is a passing offense that against teams not called Illinois or Michigan was pretty bad. So you've got these guys with Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor. Um, Jake Ferguson's a solid tight end. Um, Kamari DK. I think they tend to run in the slot a little bit more, but they've got these guys who have not been dynamic weapons in the past, none of whom is a true number one threat. They're all perfectly fine when the run game is working and, you know, play action is wide open, as we saw again on the opening night of the season. But none of those guys, like, if you really want Graham to be a serious Heisman contender, like push you to a a conference title, beat an Ohio State type of player, you got to get him better weapons. Berger could be that in the run game, but they need receiving weapons for him, and they didn't bring any in. They, the only transfer they went and got of any probable impact is going to be Malusi. So we'll say, I mean, maybe he's – I couldn't tell you the first thing about his game because, again, I watched plenty of Clemson, and I never saw the guy on the field once. Maybe he ends up being enough of a pass-catching threat that he helps there in some regard, but they really didn't do much to – bring in more weapons for the guy for the quarterback who shows the most potential of anyone they've had since Russell Wilson. Yeah. I mean, you could say the same about Najee Harris at this point in his career at Alabama, like, oh, haven't seen much of him on the field. <laughs> so as I'm saying, I don't know what his recruiting profile is, but you got to assume if he's, if he comes from Clemson recently, yeah, it's pretty he played for modern Clemson, he's probably pretty good. You're, you're not talking about grabbing some walk on from them or anything. So We'll see how that works out again. Knowing Wisconsin, I think it's 
it's fair to say with Wisconsin's track record, you can probably write off last year and give them the benefit of the doubt this season. And the other thing, the interesting thing here is that Paul Christ has quietly brought in a very un-Wisconsin-like recruiting class in a good way. They have the number 15th ranked national class. Um, hopefully the fact that Michigan State swiped one of their recruiting, their recruiting coordinator is going to bring some of that magic my way. Let's go ahead and get that going. But when you look at that, I was like, oh man, that's very un-Wisconsin-like of them. What's going Oh, okay. I see. So we've got at the top of their roster in terms of prospects on paper, uh, five-star offensive tackle, Nolan Rucci, four-star offensive tackle, JP Benchall, four-star offensive tackle, Riley Malman. Okay. So that's what's going on here is now. Yeah. So I've always been wondering, God, at some point, shouldn't Wisconsin be leveraging this whole thing where it's like, Hey, we make first round draft pick offensive lineman out of nothing into a thing where you say, Hey, if you're already a prospective, you know, draft pick, we can make you a top 10 draft pick. Just their track record at offensive line is one of the most impressive for, you know, NFL talent of any position relative to the recruits that they've brought in. I've always wondered why they don't leverage that for recruiting more. And it looks like, uh, it's just because they uh, didn't feel like it before now. Yeah. Well, that's, again, I'm, <laughs> I don't think we're selling Wisconsin fans anything new when we say Gary Anderson's approach to recruiting was a little weird. And even before that, Bielema was never exactly a dynamic recruiter, at least not that I recall. So that Chris has had success there, I think is a quiet credit to him. <laughs> But even with a number 15 ranked class, I mean, you, you go up and down this roster, look at where the spots where the depth charts a little thin are, and then look at the recruiting class. I figure you probably see TJ Ballers on the defensive line, which, by the way, excellent name. That's, a, that's, <laughs> a, that's certainly an all-freshman name team candidate at the very least. Um, you could see Hunter Wohler place them at safety. You could see Braylon Allen some in the linebacking group. They tend to mix a lot of line of young guys in and play a lot of guys in the linebacking group. But other than that, you know, even with this pretty glitzy ranking, a lot of these guys are still like they have a couple spots to fill on the offensive line. But again, like, do does this group of blue chips step in as true freshmen, or do they use last year a, a guy from a couple years ago in um, what the hell's the guy's name? Logan Brown, the offensive tackle out of the west side of Michigan, uh, would presumably be closer to the field than three freshmen. So this is this bodes very well for the ultimate ceiling of Wisconsin's offense, especially if you're talking about an upperclassman, Graham Mertz. We'll see if he plays out his eligibility. But this kind of recruiting sets you up to kind of break through this ceiling that's been established where, okay, yeah, you're going to win the West, you know, more than anyone else more often than not, but have fun getting past Ohio state. Like that's, that's gotta be what this program is oriented at. In my opinion, that you've got to stranglehold on your own division, but how do you break through the next level? Yeah. How do you break through the next level is you have to approach the talent level of Penn state and Michigan. And what's interesting about that five-star offensive tackle, Nolan Rucci is He's from the heart of Pennsylvania. I say that because he went to the high school that is the crosstown rival. Well, not crosstown, but next town over rival of uh, my wife's high school. Uh, Lidditz, Pennsylvania uh, is where, where he's from, which is, uh, in the, you know, the middle of Amish country. Uh, seems like 
a place that Penn State should really have locked down. Well, if I remember correctly, I believe Wisconsin also has his brother on the team. Isn't Hayden Rucci? A, isn't that a guy? Is that a name I'm making up? I feel like he's a tight end that plays for them or something Possible, like that. But still, I mean, that is still a uh, that is still worth worth considering because you know those sorts of things uh, fail to materialize quite often. And Moon is uh, getting very defensive and chewing on Leah Steeler's hat. So I think Moon. Took a little bit of exception to, to that. So she's uh, a little bit furious about Penn State losing that recruiting battle in their own backyard. I, well, but you know, I guess it's fair to say. No, I think I think she's just Franklin. Pennsylvania is not in state. You talk about New Jersey and Maryland yeah. as being in state, yeah. so kind of understandable there. Yeah. So I think she's just just chewing on that because she's uh, you know being reminded of those obnoxious Lidditz people with their you know some money in the athletic program. Um, as opposed to uh, my, my wife's alma mater, which looked exactly the same a few years ago as it did when she was a freshman. Um, so if you're going to recruit from there, you want to recruit from Lidditz, I guess, is what I'm saying. They also have a killer chocolate factory. I suppose. Uh, to wrap up the football segment of our Wisconsin discussion, uh, they have probably their most interesting schedule that I remember seeing in quite some time. I know a few years ago they had the home and home with LSU, and that was cool and all. Uh, and But yeah, sure enough, Barry Alvarez is on his way out, so now they have some interesting games. Uh, first game of the season, cross-divisional matchup, Penn State coming to Camp Randall. That's going to be probably the biggest game of the first full week of the conference slate, I would think. A couple weeks after that, they have a non-con with Notre Dame at Soldier Field, an ostensibly neutral site, although knowing what I know about Chicago, that's yeah, going to be that's Notre not Dame a neutral problem. site. That's, that's all <laughs> Notre Dame. Um. And that's, you know, that's why, I mean, the Michigan people, Notre Dame's pretty high on their shit list. But before I even really had a college football team, I, growing up in the Chicago suburbs, I, I knew that my favorite football team was whoever plays Notre Dame. A, a viewpoint held by many other people, to be sure. After that, they've got a couple conference games mixed in there. And then there's a mid-table visit from Army, which, again, like, Playing a service academy, don't do it. Like, just don't do it. But definitely don't do it in the middle of the season when you don't have a bye, either before or after the game, to either prepare or heal from a, a game with a triple option service academy. Uh, that's just asking for trouble. But again, you know, kudos, I guess, to playing an interesting game. They're probably going to come out with some kind of goofy flag motif version of their uniforms. Um, and, you know, their PR people will have a great time with it. Just friggin' disgusting. The other crossovers from the East Division, Michigan and Rutgers, could be an easier slate, certainly. Again, notwithstanding last season's results. But, you know, when we talked about Michigan's schedule, we looked at the game with Wisconsin as really being a lodestar event for them, not just this season, but for the survival of Harbaugh's program. Hey, if you had to play one of those two in 2020, would you rather play Michigan or Rutgers? I'd rather play Michigan. Oh, hell yeah. Well... Yeah, I get. it remains to be seen how that program performs when they maybe actually have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. It's, the it's not going to be the same this year. I expect Michigan to be better than Rutgers, but if you just look at last year, I want to take it. I, I would rather play Michigan than Rutgers. Yeah, but, it, you know, look at this schedule to open the season in three, three of the first. Now, these are all home games, but again, it's Penn State, Eastern Michigan, so that's a walkover. Notre Dame and Michigan. Well, I say Notre Dame's a home game because I believe that's tech, Wisconsin will serve as the home team, but 
anyway, you've got that very interesting slate to open the season. And then the trip to Illinois, the Brett Bielema angle there, and then Army after that, before you get into the meat of the divisional schedule with a little bit of Rutgers sauce. Well, if you look at what Eastern Michigan's done, okay, so yeah, not that impressive to beat Chris Ash Rutgers. And then they took a slightly a slightly bigger challenge with Jeff Brown Purdue, and then they beat T, you know the, the the eventual team of destiny before they got their shit together the uh, the the Lovey Smith Bowl game Illini. So are they ready to take another step up in being the greatest Big Ten Lego of the last few years? Probably yeah. not, but Chris Creighton, the Big Ten scalp collector, man. Um, probably not, but if Wisconsin doesn't have a three score lead by you know midway through the second quarter. You got to keep an eye on that one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect that to be too much of a problem. The game is at Camp Randall, and Wisconsin generally doesn't look past games like that. But sure, it's certainly something to be considered. And then again, it's it's after that Army game starting in mid-October where you've got the divisional games, um, and the schedule lines up pretty favorably. Iowa's at home, Northwestern at home. Those on paper, I think, would be your major divisional challengers. They wrap up the season going to Minnesota. But again, with the exception of one loss to Minnesota a couple of years ago, that's been a series that if you're a Wisconsin fan, you feel pretty confident about. So we'll see how that shakes out. I, I don't think this is a schedule that sets them up to go undefeated by any means. I do think they're probably still in the catbird spot in the West Division. I would expect them to be the division favorite most of the season. But that, I would expect that season opener against Penn State will be very telling for both teams. Yeah, I would expect that they will probably be underdogs to, that they, I mean, I don't know if they'll be underdogs to Penn State, definitely Notre Dame, but then they should be favored for the rest of their games. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. We'll see, we'll see what Iowa looks like. And you could talk me into Minnesota having a sort of a breakthrough season of their own, but I think at least in terms of gambling odds, yeah, they probably will be favored in all the rest of their games after Notre Dame. Yeah, we keep, we, like, I don't think that Wisconsin gets the joke about how we keep scheduling them for homecoming because they're a homecoming opponent for the fifth time since 2014. Um, <laughs> I, I think either there's a joke that they're not getting, or we don't really understand the concept of homecoming games. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, hold on. Let me look at Illinois schedule here really quick. Cause I, you've mentioned this to me before. I just want to see. So so you have a game, you have a home game against Maryland on September 17th. And I get that that's a little early for homecoming, but you also play Charlotte on October 2nd. You couldn't just make. Oh some... my God. Yeah. That's, that's the one that for me, it's like, I, I just don't understand what we're doing. I don't understand why. I mean, I guess we definitely don't understand the concept of homecoming since we don't come out in the goddamn uh, Dick Butkus era throwbacks, or at the very least our classic orange, blue, orange, we instead come out in grace, but you know, Maybe we'll see. We'll see if uh, we start to understand the concept of homecoming, which, by the way, was invented at the University of Illinois. Um, mm. So, anyway. Um, oh, unless we forget to put a, just put a little bit of a cherry on the end of last season. Remember, Wisconsin played in the inaugural Duke's Mayo Bowl, as God intended, and then they won the game over some milquetoast, you know, North Carolina ACC team. And then in true G5 fashion or whatever his brand name is, Graham Mertz broke the damn trophy. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Well, that wasn't a metaphor for last season. I don't know what was. If um, Graham Mertz gets benched halfway through the season and then transfers to like a Mac school, well, then he'll be G5 again. Oh, and one last 
uh, little detail here. Former multi-year starter slash preferred Paul Chris recruit slash um, much bemoaned passing game object Jack Cohn has transferred. Do you know where he's transferred to? <laughs> I do. It's to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And so what I'm doing right now is looking really quick at their depth chart because I can't imagine, I can't imagine that Brian Kelly's solution to replacing Ian Book, Jack Cohn as his starter. Yeah. Um, but I'm... I also wouldn't imagine Brian Kelly would throw 31 passes in a literal hurricane. Right. And I'm looking at his depth chart here and there are names I don't recognize. Um, this preview I'm glancing at from SI.com, Wisconsin grad transfer Jack Cohn was expected to be the starter and did nothing this spring to change that. Uh, apparently the likely challenger there is Drew Pine. Again, a name I've never heard, but you never hear the backups if they don't play. So no, he's going to be the presumptive starter, and it's going to be a matchup with your own former multi-year starter for Wisconsin in that game against Notre Dame. I would circle that one on your calendars, even if you weren't already interested. Wait a second. Does that mean if Notre Dame is in half of an ACC schedule, does that mean there will also be a Jack Cone versus Alex Hornibrook throwdown? Hornibrook's still eligible? My Everybody's God. still eligible. Well, I, like, I, I get that he could play. I mean, like, is he really choosing to? <laughs> I, I don't see why you wouldn't if you're a returning starter that, you know, has power, power five credentials. I do. There's no, like, he Okay, 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 okay. Let's see if Notre game. Dame, if their schedule even has. No, so according, according to this, he, I don't think he's going back to Florida State. He played in the spring league. Oh. Okay, well, then he's definitely not going back to Florida State. I can't hear you, and I can't tell. Years old. (laughs) He's how old? Alex Hornerbrook is 24. Oh, my goodness. Um, It's not, I'm trying to sort this out. It's not clear to me. Um, if he's able to play again this year. Now, I can't... I, I can only imagine if he was on a professional football roster than that, even in the NIL era, disqualifies him. Yeah, I, so I don't think we're going to see the majesty of two former noodle-armed Wisconsin quarterbacks. God, we were close, he's though. We were close. Game. Jeez. It could have happened, man. It could have happened. It just... Okay, all right. So... <laughs> Okay, enough talk about Wisconsin football. Let's get on to the juicy gossip portion of the of this episode, which would be the basketball season. On the court, nothing interesting to talk about. They were massively underwhelming relative to the expectations of a team that won the conference title the year before. Again, a three-way title, but yes, they won the title. And they returned an enormous senior group um, of seven guys who made up most of their rotation from that conference championship team. From basically the beginning, they just did not seem to have the same mojo that they did the previous season. And this all became the reasoning for that became very clear when an audio recording of a meeting between the seniors and Greg Gard came to light. It is 37 minutes long, so we're certainly not going to play it here. 
But a couple of highlights. Nate Reavers saying he felt like he and guard didn't have a relationship. Demetri Trice saying that they weren't there to build guard's resume. Not great comments from your seniors or captains, your best players. And so in that context, the fact that the team fell so flat is much more understandable. But how and why they go from the great chemistry they had the year before to what we saw on the court last season that's a huge question mark of how an otherwise apparently steady coach like Greg Gard allows that to happen. Are you familiar with the concept of Chekhov's gun? Yes. Kobe King was the gun. Well, right. I get that. But you would figure once it goes off, it looked like it was a, a turning. No, you thought it went off. It actually didn't. <laughs> it turns anyway. out the effect from that, like, because that suddenly seems you know, now suddenly you're seeing that in a different light, huh? Maybe so, but again, like without really knowing the- Well, you can see why maybe the best scorer would leave a situation as good as he seemed to have it in Wisconsin. It, it seemed, you know, just because these other guys also seem to have a very good situation and yet they felt compelled to, uh, you know, have this meeting. <laughs> to have this meeting, record it, and then leak it. Because I've like- Presumably, it's not the head coach or anyone else he had in the room, and it sounds like it was just him and the players. So, with you know, there's no telling exactly who it was, but one of those players recorded and leaked this entire meeting. Um, and so, again, the the end result of that for their roster next season is that of those seven seniors who could have come back and used a free year, only Brad Davison returns. Which, uh, like Greg Gar's got to be just like pounding his head on the desk, like can't be fucking kidding me. Um, so you, your culture is now defined by Brad Davison. <laughs> and then aside from that, you have a sort of combo, a three, four type guy in Tyler wall who was okay when he played, but was pretty low usage. And then Johnny Davis, who seemed to be pretty promising last year, but again, in more of a support role. And then you've got a bunch of like end of the bench guys, a four man prep class with nobody inside the top 100 recruits nationally and two transfers, um, shooting guard Isaac Lindsay from UNLV, point guard Jacoby Neath from Wake Forest, neither of whom profiles as an impact player either. So this is suddenly very much a make-or-break season from Greg Gard, which is a surprise because, again, at this point a year ago, we thought that Gard had his proof of concept. He had taken this big, talented group, of players won the conference title with him. He was in great position to repeat the questions we were asking last season were, man, you know, how does he negotiate working his younger players in to make sure he has some carryover experience and Greg Kobe would have made that a little more difficult anyway, but now he's got to, he's got to rely on guys who didn't see the floor at all. Um, That's what's so weird is it's been six years since Bo Ryan left you would have figured that if there was going to be a meltdown, it would have happened sooner. Maybe so. I guess maybe maybe that's a commentary on Bo's culture carrying on with the not only the players he left behind directly, but also the guys that those players interacted with. Maybe that's just not, not a culture conducive to 2021 because, you know, uh, probably a lot, of, uh, a lot of Gen Xers talking about how back in their day, the, uh, the anonymous players leaking audio used to leak audio of the coaches roasting players instead of the other way around. Right. Uh, right. Talking, of course, about Bobby Knight being fucking tired of losing to Purdue. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
so yeah, again, like Johnny Davis is a decent player. Tyler Wall will probably contribute more in a bigger role, but they're going to need guys like Ben Carlson and Lauren Bowman II um, and Jordan Davis to play substantially bigger roles. Otherwise, they're going to be looking for big impacts from a freshman class that probably is not ready to provide that right away. It's fair to compare Brad Davison to like a Disney villain sidekick where it's like, no matter how much humiliation the villain has to face, it's like, don't worry, you're always going to have me. And then the villain's just like, oh, <laughs> big Iago vibes. For sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, if there, if Boy, there, what was that all about? <laughs> there was a movie about Wisconsin basketball. Uh, yes, I feel I feel fairly safe in saying Gilbert Gottfried would have to play Brad Davison. So, um, okay. <laughs> again, so this is going to be a very interesting season for Wisconsin basketball. I, I wonder how much of a national spotlight there is on this story because this audio thing, like it was, it was an, oh, wow, look at that thing when it first happened, but it's not like it stayed in the national consciousness that I've seen. So we'll see if once the college hoop season, I, to be honest with you, I think most on-court stories this season are going to be completely washed away beneath the the story of name image likeness. I think that's going to dominate the media conversation. It's going to be, it's, it is, it's going to be Zion Williamson turned into an abstract form where it's all they talk about, but it's not actually a player. So you can't like cut to his game during another game happening. It's just the thing that they talk about the entire broadcast. No, it'll be a player. It'll be Kentucky center Kofi Coburn. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah, because he decided to withdraw from the draft but enter into the transfer portal. And I'm pretty sure that uh, what's happening is we're being robbed. There's a robbery in progress, but there's no (laughs) channels by which to report it. (sighs) We truly are in the darkest timeline. Yeah, what sucks is that, you know, for all this time, we, we, you know, we, we complied. We didn't mess you know, we did we we didn't get that deep into the weeds, and then it seems like a couple of years ago we finally decided after all this time to, you know, quote unquote, try real hard to compete in national recruiting, and then the rules changed, <laughs> and now it's a free for all, and we're not compared to, we're not prepared to compete with that. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's if if there's any solace to this for Wisconsin basketball fans, it's that uh, it's going to be buried under an avalanche of other noise. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!